Section 27 of The Sainted Queens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio. The Sainted Queens by Unknown. St. Elizabeth of Hungary, Chapter 9. It might have seemed that there was nothing more for the saint to give up, no material left for farther sacrifice, but Master Conrad had discovered that there was still a fiber in her heart to which self-will might attach itself, and he set himself relentlessly to pluck it out. He began to restrict her in her works of mercy, and forbade her to give more than a single penny to any poor person at a time. She tried by various stratagems to evade this hard precept, causing silver pennies to be struck instead of copper, and when the poor complained of the sudden diminution of her bountiful alms, she would say to them, I am forbidden to give you more than a penny at a time, but I am not forbidden to give to you as often as you come and ask me. The pensioners were not slow to take the hint and circled the house continually, entering by one gate and going out at another. Her director, having discovered these stratagems of charity, reproved her severely and even inflicted blows upon her which she received with joy in memory of the suffering endured for her by her divine redeemer. Conrad next forbade her to give away money upon any pretext whatever, but permitted her to distribute bread in small slices, for she was not to give a whole loaf to any one. At last she was forbidden to give any kind of relief, and her charity was forbidden to the care of the sick, with the exception of lepers, whom, as the chosen objects of her tender compassion, she was forbidden to touch. The restraint laid upon her charity to the poor of Christ was perhaps the hardest to be borne of all the crosses which, one after another, she took up for his love, but she thus learned the perfection of that obedience which is more acceptable in his sight than any other sacrifice which can be offered to him. She accepted the bitter discipline with her whole heart, and became most expert in this last and most difficult point of the science of the saints. Her obedient soul spoke of victories. No command could be too hard, too humiliating, or too trying to be instantly rendered to one who did not treat her with the ordinary courtesy due to her sire and rank, or even with the charity which belongs to the relation of priest and penitent. The holy man, says a writer of the time, did all this to break her will that she might set all her love upon God and remember no more her former glory, and in all things she was prompt to obey and firm to suffer, so that she possessed her soul in patience, and her victory was ennobled by obedience. She did not conceal the fear which she felt of her director, not for herself but as the representative of God. If I thus fear a mortal man, said she to her companions, how much more should I tremble before God, who is the Lord and judge of all men? Master Conrad used his power over her with the most extreme severity. He sent for her once to meet him at the convent of Aldenburg, where she had placed her youngest child, and where he had some idea of placing herself. On her arrival, the nuns asked his permission for her to enter the enclosure. Conrad, who had previously warned her that any person of either sex who entered it without permission incurred excommunication, she replied, let her enter if she will. Elizabeth understood the words as a permission and entered the forbidden precinct. Conrad immediately sent for her, and having shewn her the book in which her oath of obedience was registered, he ordered a monk who was with him to inflict a certain number of blows with a long staff upon the saint and her attendant, Ermengarde, while he recited the miserere. Elizabeth endured this humiliating punishment without a murmur, and spoke of it afterwards to Ermengarde. We ought to suffer such chastisement with patience, like the reeds by the river's side which bend without breaking, under the weight of the inundation, and when it is past, rise up with new strength and life. So we must sometimes be humbled and bowed down to the earth, and rise up again with joy and confidence. Another time, the saint, being engrossed by the care of one of her patients, neglected to attend a sermon preached by Master Conrad on the Passion, to the hearing of which an indulgence was attached. As soon as the sermon was over, he sent for her, and inquired what she had been doing instead of coming to the sermon, and then, without waiting for an answer, he gave her a violent blow, saying, This is to teach you to come another time when I send for you. 
She only smiled and was about to explain the cause of her absence when he struck her again, and this time the blow drew blood. Elizabeth raised her eyes to heaven and said, O Lord, I thank thee that thou hast chosen me for this. Her women asking her how she could bear such treatment, she replied, For having suffered it patiently, God permitted me to see Christ in the midst of his angels. The master's blows have raised me to the third heaven. When these words were repeated to Conrad, he said, I am sorry that I did not send her to the ninth heaven. And now a new form of trial came upon the patient sufferer, the hardest, perhaps, of all to a woman's nature. Elizabeth had been long called foolish, prodigal, and mad, her fair name was now assailed by the same evil tongues, and her submission to her stern director was said to proceed from a criminal attachment. These reports assumed so serious a form that her faithful friend and champion, Rodolphe of Verbilla, thought it right to inquire into their origin. He therefore went to Marburg, and addressing Elizabeth with great respect, "'May I be permitted, madam,' said he, "'to speak to you with freedom and plainness?' Having received ready permission to do so, he continued, "'I beseech my dear lady, then, to look well to her fair fame, "'for her intercourse with Master Conrad has given occasion to vile suspicions "'and evil surmises among perverse and vulgar spirits.' Elizabeth raised her eyes to heaven, and without the smallest discomposure of countenance, replied, "'Blessed in all things be our most sweet Lord Jesus Christ, my only friend, "'who vouchsafes to receive this poor offering at my hands for his love.' To devote myself to his service, I have renounced my royalty of birth. I have despised my riches and possessions. I have disfigured my youth and beauty. I have forsaken father, country, children, all the consolations of this life. I had reserved to myself but only one treasure, my womanly honor and reputation. But now it seems that he calls for this also, and I give it to him with all my heart, since he deigns to accept my fair fame as a special sacrifice, and to make me pleasing in his sight by this ignominy. I consent to be accounted henceforth a dishonored woman." But, O oh, dearest Saviour, my poor children who are yet innocent, vouchsafe to preserve them from all shame and disgrace which might come upon them through me. She desired, however, to reassure her noble and faithful friend, and shewing him the marks of the blows which she had lately received. These, sir knight, said she, are tokens of how this holy priest loves me, or rather how he teaches me to love God. Amid all her sufferings, the dear saint had enjoyed one human consolation, the love and sympathy of the two companions of her childhood, Gouda and Isentrude. She was perhaps scarcely conscious how much the loneliness of her now childless widowhood was soothed by the presence of those who had shared all her joys and sorrows, and taken part in all her exercises of devotion and charity. But the keen eye of Master Conrad had marked the spot where human affection still lingered, and having already dismissed all other members of her household, with whom her clinging and tender heart could not part without sensible pain, he came to the two cherished companions of her childhood. Isentrude, the best beloved, the sharer of her most secret thoughts and feelings, was the first to be sent away. Then Gouda, who had been her companion ever since she was five years old, and whom she loved most affectionately, was taken from her. Bitterly did she weep for the loss of these two last objects of her love. She was left indeed alone with God, but she was not to enjoy the blessedness of that solitude, for Conrad replaced her two dear friends by two companions chosen for the purpose of trying her patient spirit to the utmost. One of them, named Elizabeth, was a peasant, coarse and rough to excess, and so frightfully ugly that she served as a bugbear to frighten children. The other was a widow, who was old, deaf, and ill-humored. Elizabeth submitted to the change in her companions with the most perfect sweetness, and set herself to advance in humility by her intercourse with the rude peasant girl, and in patience by enduring the scolding of the ill-tempered old woman. The two women tried her to the utmost by continual ill-treatment. In a spirit of penance, Elizabeth took upon herself all the hard work of the household, which they left to her without any scruple, and when, being absorbed in contemplation, she made some blunder in the preparation of their miserable meal, they would reprove her harshly, telling her she was fit for nothing and could not even make a basin of soup, as if, says her chronicler, she had ever been taught to cook. 
They were also always on the watch to report to her director the slightest deviation, of which they suspected her, from his commands respecting almsgiving, and they thus often drew down severe chastisements upon her. But no provocation could induce her to swerve for a moment from the obedience she had vowed to him as the representative of Christ. So scrupulous was her fidelity that when her old and beloved friends came sometimes to visit her, she never ventured to offer them refreshment or even to speak to them without having first obtained the permission of her director. Elizabeth had sent her children from her, yet it would seem that some of them occasionally came to see her, when she would indulge her mother's love by caressing them and imprinting fond kisses upon their foreheads. But, either at Master Conrad's suggestion, or finding that their presence, even at those distant intervals, disturbed her union with God, she deprived herself of this last solace, and the children came no more. Ten years afterward, when St. Louis was holding his court at Sommer, a young German prince, about eighteen years of age, was seen in attendance upon the Queen Mother, Blanche of Castile. He was pointed out with admiration as the son of St. Elizabeth of Hungary, and Queen Blanche would reverently kiss the fair brow which had been consecrated by the presence of her lips. We love to picture to ourselves the son of St. Elizabeth, thus adopted by the mother of St. Louis. Meanwhile, the dear saint was filling her lonely hours with fresh deeds of miraculous charity. On her daily visit to the hospital, she one day found a poor helpless child lying upon the threshold. He was not only deaf and dumb, but his limbs were so twisted and distorted that he could only drag himself along on his hands and knees like some miserable animal. His mother had brought him there by night and left him, in the hope that the good Landgravine would have compassion upon the miserable being whom she herself was ashamed to own. As soon as Elizabeth saw him, she stooped over him with tender pity and said, "'Where are thy parents, dear child, who brought thee hither?' But as the boy did not seem to understand her, she repeated her question in a still softer tone and said as she caressed him, "'What ails thee, poor child? Why wilt thou not speak to me?' The child then fixed his eyes upon her without speaking. Not knowing that he was dumb, she thought he was possessed and said in a loud voice, "'In the name of our Lord, I command thee and him who is in thee to answer me and tell me whence thou camest.' The child stood upright before her. His speech was immediately restored, and he said, My mother brought me here. And then he told the saint that he had never seen or heard before, and that he had been born in the state in which she had seen him. But now, said he, as he stretched out his limbs one after another, now God has given me motion, speech, and hearing, and I speak words which I have never heard nor learned from any one. And then he began to weep and thank God. I knew not God, said he. All my senses were dead. I knew not what a man is, but now I feel that I am no longer like a beast. I can now speak of God." Blessed be that question of yours, which obtained for me the grace from God not to die as I have hitherto lived. At these words, Elizabeth perceived that God had been pleased to work a miracle by her means, and she fell on her knees and mingled her tears with those of the child whom she had saved. Return now, said she, at once to thy parents, and tell no one what has happened. Above all, say nothing to anyone about me. Say only that God helped thee, and guard thyself day and night from mortal sin, or thou mayest soon fall again into thy sickness." Never forget what thou hast suffered, and always pray for me, as I will always do for thee. And then she escaped from him to avoid the glory of the miracle. The child's mother came to the spot just as she disappeared, and, amazed to see her child standing upright and to hear him speak, said, Who has restored thy speech? To which the child answered, A sweet lady in a gray gown spoke to me in the name of Jesus Christ, and words were given me to answer her. The mother immediately went in pursuit of Elizabeth, and having recognized her at a distance, published the miracle all over the country. This is but one of the many instances of the miraculous attestation granted to the sanctity of Elizabeth, and yet, strange as it may seem, all these proofs of the love of God toward her were wholly unable to remove from her mind a sort of distrust of the divine mercy, arising from her keen sense of her own unworthiness. It was this for which Our Lady had reproved her in the first days of her widowhood. She was one day speaking upon the subject to her old friend and confessor, Father Rodinger, who had come to visit her as they walked together on the banks of the lawn. There is one thing, Reverend Father, said she, which troubles me above all. 
I cannot help having a sort of doubt of the love of God for me, not but that I know him to be infinitely good and most lavish in his love, but because of my many demerits which set me far off from him, although I be on fire with his love. You have nothing to fear on that account, replied the father, for the divine goodness is so great that it is impossible to doubt that God loves those who love him far more than he is loved by them. And pointing to a beautiful tree on the other side of the river, he told her that that tree should sooner cross over to the bank on which they were walking together than God should suffer himself to be surpassed in love by one of his creatures. He had hardly uttered the words when, to the amazement of all present, the tree of which he spoke was seen to cross the river and take root on the opposite side. At this marvelous testimony to the divine love, Elizabeth cast herself at the feet of Father Rodinger to confess her want of faith and trust and to obtain forgiveness. End of chapter 9 of St. Elizabeth of Hungary. End of section 27. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio.